Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Short Box. Yo, Shortbox Nation. Hello, and nice to have you joining us again. This is episode 296, and for those of you tuning in for the first time, welcome to the Shortbox Podcast. I will be your host today. My name is Bader Milligan, and I'm joined by my talented co-host, Cesar Cordero. It's been a minute since we were joined by an esteemed guest for an interview, and that's exactly why I'm excited for all of you tuning in this week, because we are joined by someone with a unique and hands-on view of the comic book making process and the business side as well. She is someone I've been looking forward to chatting with all week. This episode is made possible by our sponsor, Gotham City Limit, Jacksonville's premier location for comic books, collectibles, toys, and more, and our Shortbox patrons, whose contributions help us pay podcast bills. Speaking of our patrons, I know some of you are asking about our new Mutants review, and I'm happy to share we did catch the movie on opening night, and we recorded an in-depth review that's currently available on our Patreon site. Which leads me to a perfectly placed, shameless plug, where I encourage everyone to consider becoming a Shortbox patron. We love producing the show for you to enjoy, but we could use some help expanding and keeping the lights on here at the Shortbox Studio. You can support the show for as little as $2 a month and enjoy perks like access to bonus episodes like the New Mutants Review, commercial-free listening, topic voting, and merch, and a whole lot more. See for yourself by visiting our membership site, patreon.com slash the shortbox. And if you aren't in a position to help us financially, that's fine. You'll still be able to enjoy weekly content like this free of charge. But do me a favor and tell a friend or your favorite comic book fan about the show. Word of mouth really helps us grow, too. With those shameless plugs out of the way, I want to move on to our main event, and that's the guest joining us today. She is an Eisner-winning comic editor who also writes her own web comics, anthologies, and essays. She's currently an editor at Lion Forge Comics, whose long list of credits just at the company alone include titles like Astonisher, Incidentals, and the Gail Simone-written series Seven Days, plus a whole lot more. Shortbox Nation, let's give a round of applause and welcome Desiree Rodriguez to the show. Welcome to the Showbox Podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> nah, it's 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 our pleasure. We it's been a minute, like I said in the, in the intro, since we've had like an esteemed guest. We usually like any guest we have on the show is esteemed compared to us. So nice, nice save, yeah. nice save, nice save. <laughs> we usually get hype. Um, and and having the opportunity to have an editor of your caliber on the show is definitely an honor for us, and and something that me and C were both looking forward to. True story. All week. You guys are flattering me way too much. I'm such a boring person. <laughs> okay, well, keep that in but mind and continue to insult you for an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> you know, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out um, our good friends of the show and, and Shortbox alumni, the babes who hustle. Oh, yeah. Because uh, it was their recent write-up on you that um, definitely inspired this interview. So I wanted to shout out to Chelsea and the babes who hustle team. And once again, congratulate you on a, a really stellar write-up. You know, I learned a lot from uh, that write-up. And uh, the different like bodies of work that you've done and, and the links that they shared. So shout out to Babes Who Hustle. Yeah, seconding that shout out, that was a really cool and fun interview. And I really enjoyed doing it and learning about like them and you know what they do in like, the Jack space was really cool. Desiree, so it's not every day that we have an Eisner award-winning editor on the show. I can count the number of times on one finger, actually. Uh, we've highlighted the award for years we've even um uh, dedicated a whole spotlight episode to the man who to inspired them in our will eisner spotlight episode back in december uh desiree will you do us the honors of explaining what puerto rico strong your award-winning anthology is all about uh yes yeah, so basically it's it was an anthology um that we put out uh soon after hurricane maria had hit um the island uh, i'm puerto rican 
So, and uh, many of my co-editors on that project were also Puerto Rican. And uh, we wanted to put together an anthology that both raised money for the island, since the island um, has such poor infrastructure and is in so much debt because of just history of the island. Um, but also, uh, I used to work in childcare. I used to work with kids. And I knew that we should put together something that had longevity. So the anthology is also a mix of like historical fiction, um, you know, and it has a lot of stories that tell about like the culture of the island, the culture of our people, but also like historical things that have happened um, on the island, you know, historical figures or historical events like the birth control trials is one of my probably favorite short comics in that anthology. Um, and it tells about the birth control trials, uh, the experimental birth control drugs that ended up sterilizing a lot of Puerto Rican women without their knowledge or consent. Um, so we wanted to tell those sort of stories uh, that would also be very accessible in like schools um, that way, because the goal was kind of to educate people. Um, I believe, you know, through education, a lot of ignorance can be cured hmm. um, or at least addressed. And, you know, since there's so much that people had didn't know about the island, but everybody was talking about it, they were like, you know, well, well how did it get this bad? And, you know, how come they can't get more help and such? And it just showed, you know, me and my fellow um, editors on the project, like how little people knew. So we wanted to put together an anthology with a majority of, you know, Latin creators um, and tell those stories to hopefully give people an idea of the history of the island and the history of like our people. So um, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what the anthology is about. It got my mommy the stamp of approval. So I was like, <laughs> I mean, there you go. <laughs> I got it. I see it. I see it. You know, uh, hey. you know, I liked, uh, oh, no, yeah, you're about Sorry, to. Sorry, Butter. No, no. We're about to exclude no, you big 100%. Time. Big. You are done. There's going to be an Yo, hour long conversation about mofongo, tostones, Yo. everything. Oh, tostones. And I'm going to chime in like with something. The other day. Oh, did you really? Yes. Uh, yes. My roommate, uh, I was like, you know what? I really want to make Ganagisa. And he's like, you know what? I support that decision <laughs> of yours. And I'm like, I bet you do. Yeah, I'll just say, yeah, I bet. I love when C gets to flex like his Spanish on, on the show and, you know, go full Puerto Rican on me. Don't, don't uh, embarrass and, me. An hour will pass and I'll, I'll chime into something stupid like, uh, did you guys read Batman the other day? <laughs> <laughs> um, That's okay. I do have, I have one tattoo and it's the uh, Tim Drake Robin symbol. There you go. So. Okay. I'm, I'm I'm pretty big. Well, you know, Bruce Wayne, I can never take, but the Robins, I'm all about the Robins. Hmm. Hmm. So I, I wanted to, to go back to something that you brought up as with the, the Eisner Awards, which I, I thought your, dis, um, your description of them and summary of them in, in that Babes Who Hustle article that they are the Oscars of, you know, the comic book world. It's, it's like one of the most, you know, it is the most esteemed, I think, award you could win working in comic books. Um, I'm curious, how did, how did it change things for you professionally or personally after you won that award? Um, so I, fun story, I came up with that phrase because Mamita doesn't know what comics are. She knows like what a Wonder Woman is and <laughs> that's basically it. Um, so when I told her, you know, cause she had read the anthology and such, and I was like, let me, we got nominated for an Eisner. And she was like, Chepa, that's amazing. That's fantastic. I'm so proud of you. What's an Eisner? And <laughs> I was like, All right, it's like the Oscars of comics. Mommy. And she was like, fantastic. Um, 
so, but for personally, uh, the, I mean, that night was, was insane. I had never been to San Francisco. Um, wait, no, it's not it's San Diego. It's been a long quarantine, but yeah, I had never, been, I had actually never been to the West coast at all. So it was a completely new experience and trip for me. Um, and it was, I was the only editor that was able to go and attend. It was, it was, it was a really fun night and I didn't think we were going to win. Um, I, image came out with an anthology uh, about the Las Vegas shooting and mm. I had read that and I really loved that. And then, um, I think pretty deadly was also up in the same category and I loved both of those books and I thought either one of those books had it. So when we won, I actually, I had turned to my, my boss was there and I was like, do I, do I walk up there? Like, and he was like, yeah, you have the dress on. And I was like, good point. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's a good excuse. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, it was it was amazing. And personally, it meant a lot because that anthology was definitely like the high point of, of my career so far. Hmm. Um, I love what we did with that. I love the stories we told in that anthology. I loved what that's meant for people. And also that a lot of teachers will come up to the booths um, at conventions and they'll say, you know, I love Puerto Rico Strong. I want more copies for, you know, different teachers from my classroom, for our library, you know, and that was always the goal was to be able to be to use that anthology as a tool because so many anthologies are put out after tragedies and they raise money, which is a good thing. But I didn't want something that would be like a flashbang in the industry. I wanted something that could last longer. Hmm. And that's why we went for the educational angle, because then it can be just continuously used and, you know, as a resource um, you know, to teach people and to teach specifically like kids and such. So hearing that, like at, at like the booths and stuff, um, especially like after the Eisner's, I had a, a teacher come up to me um, and she was like, I love this. And I love showing my kids this. And I love them being able to talk about this. And it's such a great resource. And I was like, I already cried last night. You don't need to make me cry here. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I don't have the waterproof mascara on right now. You know, I'm an ugly crier. Like, but thank you so much. Professionally, I wouldn't say much has changed. Um, people are more interested in my anthology ideas, which is mm. great. Uh, so as far as like educational, like or historical fiction anthologies, I think that would be something that would be really beneficial for the book market and the industry. Um so, but personally, it just, it meant a lot to me uh, just because of my family and like my history and, and such. So it was, it was cool. Can I ask something uh, again, if assuming somebody is listening to this for the first time and they kind of stumbled across and maybe they enjoy comics, but don't necessarily know the ins and outs of what happens, your role as an editor, what exactly hands-on wise does that look like? I try to like describe editors as being almost like like directors, we don't like the way I was mentored and taught to be an editor. You're not supposed to like tell a writer or a cartoonist or a creator how to make their book. Right. Um, you are not there to write it for them. You're not there to draw it for them. You're there to bring out the best possible story that they have. So you like, I'll give them me, art notes, um, you know, maybe change up the panel structure so that it reads a little better or, um, you know, fix the lettering here, or we can do some really interesting lettering things. And people always, you know, forget lettering. Lettering is a part of the art too, and it can really enhance a book. Um, so, but you can like change like the sound effects or you can add sound effects where there weren't before, you know, to kind of pull the reader in a little bit more. Um, for story, you know, story structure, um, you know, the narrative, you know, characterization, uh, character dialogue is another big one. 
you know, um, to just help the writer and feel out their ideas and get a sense of what they want to do with their story. Like, what are their goals and how I can best help them accomplish those goals? Um, and then a lot of it's like, then there's a lot of like the boring stuff, like, you know, printer size and specs and like, are we going to put gloss on the cover, hmm. you know, or is it going to be like matte pages or glossy pages? Like that's all the boring stuff that like, that's, it's important know, I do though. it because I have a job, but <laughs> the cool stuff is the narrative stuff and the, the art aspects. Right. Um, I love being able to see an artist's pencils and, you know, work together with them on like creating the best story that, you know, they want to create. And, and same with colors too, because you can do a lot with colors mm. um, and figuring out, you know, like what, like how should a character look and their look and even their outfits, you know, like how to best express their personality through the clothing that they wear and the way their hair is done, um, you know, is, is really interesting and fun too. Uh, Cause comics are such a great visual medium for storytelling. So it's important that we have, that we can enhance that visual medium in all aspects. Um, and, you know, so you have to have a lot of respect for your collaborators. Um, so editors aren't supposed to be dictators. Like since if you work on IP projects, which are something that like the company you're working for owns, mm -hmm. which are usually work for higher contracts, um, then writers and creators tend to have a little less freedom um, and editors too, because you have to follow whatever the company, you know, wants for these characters. Um, that's why like no one like DC is not going to hire me to write like a Tim Drake falls in love with Superboy story because uh, that's not, it's not in the cards, unfortunately, but whatever. Um, I would write a great one. You know, there are certain things that you can and can't do, but as an editor, you're supposed to bring out the best, you know, that they want to do. Um, so it's a lot of little things. And then it's a lot of like the more obvious things like the art and the characterization of the story and such. Who do you consider uh, great editors? Like, are, are there a couple of uh, names or examples that, that come to mind when you think like really good editors? And, and is there any traits that they all kind of possess? Yo, this is Botter. Sorry for interrupting this episode, but I'll keep it brief. I wanted to let you know about a massive sale we have going on over at the Shortbox store on all of our merchandise and apparel. That's theshortboxstore.bigcartel.com. You can now save 20% off your entire order using the discount code YO, Y-O-O. So if you've been waiting for the right time to finally buy that gauntlet snapback, or if you ever wanted to buy any of the shirts you see me wear on the podcast, well, now's your chance to get them for a steal. We still have a few sizes left of everything, but they won't last long and once they're gone they are gone and then i mentioned that all of our apparel is screen printed on high quality material none of that heat transfer or direct-to-garment stuff our shirts are some of the most comfortable ones you'll ever wear and the hats look even better in person so wear your support for the short box nation proudly knowing that you're going to look damn good doing it get to the shortboxstore.bigcartel.com as soon as you can and don't forget to use that discount code YO, Y-O-O, to save 20% off your entire order. All of this information can be found in this episode's show notes if you want to get there faster. Thanks for not pressing fast forward. Now back to the show. Um, yeah, there's a friend and colleague of mine who also used to work at Lion Forge, um, Steens, uh, is an amazing editor. Um, she also uh, is a cartoonist. So she had a book that came out with Oni Press with um, Ivy Knoll called uh, Archive Quality, I believe it was. 
and her art notes are always fantastic. Um, she's really able to spot an artist's strengths and you know, like work those and bring out the best in an artist. Um, and that's something that's, again, really important um, because comics are a visual medium. And, you know, if your art's not, it's not simply if you can draw well, it's if you can tell a story well. Hmm. And she has a great eye for people being able to tell stories well and like being able to enhance the stories that they want to tell, um, which I think is a really important aspect. Um, Joe Elidge, who uh, actually got me the job at Lion Forge um, when he was my boss and he had worked for DC for a long time, is great at like story and narrative and pacing. He knows how to really push like a 22 single issue comic and make it like that punchy and like really like focused, um, you know, story. Um, so those are definitely qualities. Uh, there's another one, Amanda Meadows is another colleague of mine. She's great. She's able to like really focus on like dialogue and she's able to find stories that are interesting and new. Um, she's editing a book called uh, Frankie Comics that's coming out soon. It's just, it's cute cat stories, but <laughs> I mean, I love cute cat stories. Uh, so who, and it's, sign it's, me it's, up. It's yes. <laughs> and she has a couple other books that she's shown me that she's editing right now that are also really great and really interesting and different. So I think for, for editorial, it's being able to communicate hmm. is a huge deal. You have to be able to express what you mean you know, in a constructive way, like if you have notes, you know, cause you never want to, I don't want to say hurt feelings. Cause that sounds like passe, but like, you never want to give someone criticism that's not constructive, you know, and it's learning how to navigate and talk to people in different ways. And since it's comics, you have a lot of people that are from other countries that you work with because of freelancing. So, you know, working through language barriers and stuff is important too. So things like, things like that are really important. And then Grammar is a big one because you're reading through pages and pages and pages and you have to make sure that things are spelled correctly and commas are where they should be. And then in dialogue, like maybe this doesn't need a comma because that's not how people talk, you know, so maybe they're not speaking perfect, grammatically correct English. So you have to kind of balance that too. And there was a, an editor I used to work with named Erica and she was perfect at that. Like she had such an eye for that. Hmm. So things like, things like that, I think are really important. And how did how did you land uh you know your editorial your role at Lion Forge as an editor? Me and uh, Joe and I had actually known each other through Twitter just tangently kind of cuz I'm such a big Batman since I'm such a big Robin fan specifically and he was a Batman editor. You know, he was always like, "Hey, you know, we need we should talk about like Batman and Robin, like we should we should have a Batman talk." And I was like, "That sounds awesome. I'd love that." I could just go on and on and on about Tim Drake. So, he had actually he called me and he was like, hey, do you have a minute to like talk? And I was like, yeah, of course. You know, I w and I thought we were just going to talk about Batman. Like I was getting my Robin comics out. I was about to pull out notes and like, you know, sheets and like references. <laughs> really um, yeah. Yeah. You remember when he fought KG Beast in the 90s? It was awesome. <laughs> like, so and then he was like, you know, Jazz, do you, do you want a part time job like being my assistant? And I was like, y yes. I'll, I'll, yes. Like, sure. Of course. Um, and he had actually told me that the reason he had wanted me for um, his editorial assistant was because I had written an article for Nerds of Color, and it was called Being uh, Latinx in Comics. And it was uh, basically an essay, a long-form essay, where I went through some of the history of 
Latin representation in comics and some of the issues with that representation and basically how like comics can address those issues and be better and stuff. So, you know, he's like, that was a great article. I loved that. And, you know, I would love to have you like, you know, helping me build this superhero universe, the Catalyst Prime stuff. So I was like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Cool. Let's do this. Um, So that's how, yeah, that's how I started. I started off as an editorial assistant and then uh, I just kind of slowly moved my way up. Do you think being not only a a, a woman, but a a Latina woman working in comics has shaped your career uniquely or or made your professional journey different? I would say so. You know, I don't use Twitter often anymore, but I've definitely written things that have made people mad. And I'm just I'm too lazy to deal with confrontation. Plus, it's Twitter. It's so so evil. Evil uh, echo chamber. I'm, I'm really lazy about it. Like, I don't, I don't want to argue. I don't want to debate. Whenever I wrote an article about um, diversity or representation or colorism, I wrote one about Maggie Sawyer, the actress that was on Supergirl, because mm. she was actually a, an Italian woman. And I went into the history of like Hollywood hiring Italians to play Latin people and how harmful that is and how that erases, um, you know, indigenous Latin people and also black Latin people. Um, like Afro Latinos and such. The whole point of it wasn't really to knock this actress, you know, she's inconsequential. It was more to explore the history of why this is happening and the biases and, you know, the kind of structural uh, systems that make that allow these things to happen. But people didn't, some people didn't see that way. Some people thought I was attacking her or like their (laughs) ship. And I was like, that's cool. I'm not going to engage so yeah, so I don't I don't use Twitter that much. It, it I mean when you go to conventions and stuff, and this happened when I worked in comic shops, you always kind of have to prove hmm. that you're you belong there. So and and then if you do prove it, then you get like creepy comments, and, and that's not fun. I had one guy ask me if I could teach him Spanish on the weekends. Oh, what? <laughs> what stuff like that, you know? And I was like, yes, yeah, sir, no. Uh, <laughs> Like internally, I was like, "Okay, fucking what?" Like, but externally, <laughs> I was like, "I'm a professional, and no, thank you." Um, but you know, I hear Duolingo is 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 good. Like, you should look into that. There's That's a, probably more beneficial yeah, there's an, for you than me. As I say, there's an app called Holdate. Um, it's a nice one. You should look it up. <laughs> you know, so hearing you kind of. Hearing those words kind of reconfirms, um, kind of confirms something that I've personally noticed. So we try our best to, you know, always put a spot. We, we've, especially in these last few episodes, we've done our best to try to put a spotlight on every role within the comic book yeah. uh, process. You know, the, the the writer, the artist, the letterer, how important uh, the colorist can be, as well as the the editor. And what I've always kind of noticed is when a comic book does really well. It's typically the comic book and, or the writer and the artist that get a lot of the praise. And you only ever hear about the editorial staff when a comic book, you know, uh, is, is taken a little differently, whether it's, you know, a bad comic book or, or a controversial That's quote true. unquote or wh- whatever it may be. It seems that the editor is only brought up in negative context. What are your thoughts on how uh, the public, um, not only just like kind of diehard comic fans, but maybe just uh, the general public, uh, their views on the role of an editor? Like, I can't get mad, you know, because I think that there's not a lot of, like, accessible information on what Mm. editors do or what 
the comic process like is like. You know, a lot of people, when they think comics, they think only Cape comics. So they think, you know, the Superman, mm. the Spider-Mans, the Avengers, and they think comic shops. But there's a whole other sector. There's the book market, which is huge. Um, and that's all that's all graphic novels. And that's doing really, really, really well. You know, and those comics aren't Cape comics. Uh, most of them are like fantasy comics. Uh, Raina Telmiger like rewrote the game for middle school graphic novels hmm. and like sold millions of copies of that. And we're seeing more interest in like middle grade graphic novels and uh, young adult graphic novels. Um, and that's why you see a lot of like webtoons, you know, or web comics becoming graphic novels like Check Please did really, really well. Uh, I believe that was published by First Second, you know, but that was originally a web comic and it's about like it's a hockey romance. There's, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what comics are. And then there's a lot of just not readily accessible information on how to comic, like how to make a comic um, and what goes into the process of making a good comic. And so that's like, I always got the feeling that uh, comics are a little secretive, um, like with how they're made and how they work and, you know, and I don't know if that's just because uh, comics were such a kind of closed off thing. You know, I never wanted to go into a comic shop when I was a kid because um, you get looked at and it's, it's awkward. Hmm. Uh, and then when I was an adult, I also got looked at for different reasons um, and it was still awkward. Yeah, you have to like some cartoonists write and draw their own comics, but don't color them. And then some cartoonists will draw, write and letter and color their own comics, which is a huge undertaking. A lot of people don't understand how long it can take to draw a comic even something just, that's just 24 pages when I worked on um, single issue comics uh, it really it takes a long time you know it, you have to have respect for like the work that goes into that and give people the time they need to go in especially because a lot of these people are freelancing um, and you know comics have no union so there's no benefits you know, and then for, for editors and such, it's a lot of networking. Like if you want to get into comics and you want to become an editor, um, you don't have to work for a publisher. You can do freelancing, um, but you, you do have to kind of network. Like that's something that's really beneficial um, is kind of knowing how to network and talk to people and also to have an eye for where the industry is going and what people want to read, what needs are in the market right now that people want to read that other publishers aren't doing like people aren't getting hey shortbox nation sorry for the interruption just a few quick words from our sponsor and we'll get right back to the show yeah so this is where i pick up my um, excuse me might i remind you the rules here at no touch collectibles no loitering no friendship no touching the merchandise without gloves and no free bags and boards yeah man i know this shop sucks i don't, I don't even know why i shop here well we could go to Jacksonville premier location for comic books, collectibles, toys, and more. Ugh. Um, you okay? At Gotham City Limits, you get 10% off comic books in your pool, 20% off trade paperbacks and hardcovers, 10% off high-end figures and statues, and free bags and boards. It's practically criminal. And that's why Gotham City Limits is a place of the people. How many times have you watched the Batman trilogy? I'm ashamed to say. Well, I mean, they're not bad. One people. time for every time the Joker has taken the city hostage. Are you done with that? Yeah, I'm done. Well, let's just go take our business there. Go to any limit. 
It's the comic book shop Jax deserves. Not the one. All right, all right. I get it. It's a great shop. Let's just go. And how do, how do you personally go about um, tracking those type of trends and, and, and making those type of decisions? Like, are, are you actively always kind of absorbing as much? Uh, are you reading a lot of headlines? Or are you visiting any blogs? I mean, how do you go about doing it personally? I actually, I visit a lot of um, webcomic sites. Hmm. Like I visit a lot of, uh, like I visit Webtoons, I visit Tapas a lot. You also, as an editor, you want to work on something that you'd like to read because if you don't like it, that's going to come out in your editing. Hmm. Um, you look at the market as a whole and usually, you know, we'll do this in like department meetings or such and such, you know, and Publishers Weekly is a great resource to kind of get an idea of you know, what people are reading, what people aren't reading, and where the industry is kind of standing at. That's more catered towards the book market than it is the direct market. There are sites where they'll list like how many people have read, um, you know, like what's the highest selling graphic novel for this month? Or what was the highest selling uh, single issue comic for this month? And obviously for single issues, a lot of that stuff's going to be either Marvel or DC. But you can also kind of see if you continue to scroll what, uh, what else people are reading. Um, and what we're seeing the industry shift towards is more people want to read graphic novels because it's condensed. It's, it's a whole story. Um, even if it's split into volumes, it's kind of like that, that manga thing, you know, and manga is a great indicator too, of like what people want to read, especially what younger people want to read. Um, you know, you can't make my hero academia, like American version. It doesn't really work. But you can see that what people are gravitating towards is action in that story and also interpersonal relationships in that story. Hmm. Like people want to read about, you know, how the main character is growing and developing and building his friendships and his rivalry and such. And they resonate with that. And you can find a lot of web comics or you can read pitches that people submit or talk to people that you've networked with and see if they have pitches that kind of have that interpersonal relationship angle. So... Yeah, it's a lot of uh, talking with people that you've networked with. Like, I have a couple creators that I'm always like, you know, do you have anything? Um, you know, are you working on anything? You know, uh, I know a couple of my fellow editors will put calls out on like um, Twitter, hmm. like, hey, I'm looking for a creator or creators that, you know, XYZ are doing XYZ. Um, and then going through uh, webcomic sites and seeing, you know, what's popular, um, what's good. Because uh, you can't just pull a webcomic off. It doesn't matter if it has like 7 million views. You're still going to have to put the work in to reformat that for a book format. Because a web format is going to be very different from a book format. So just things like that is typically what I do. So, so I guess in your words, what distinguishes um, your company, Lionforge, whether it be the titles or the creative teams from other comic book publishers? What makes Lionforge stand out? I think for us, we have more of a focus on the book market. At least that's my feeling. We're open to a lot of different and new types of stories. Like we're really into, like if I bring a romance anthology to the table, that has a chance of going somewhere, which I really like. What I found fascinating by Lion Forge is that um, you guys group your titles to kind of age appropriate um, titles. Yeah, so I, I always really liked that aspect too, um, because when people... Like if I say middle grade, people are going to think like middle school and it's not necessarily like middle school. It's actually like, I think it's about ages like eight to like 12. Um, and then like young adult isn't like 1920. It's more like 12 to I think like 16 hmm. and up. So it's very specific age ranges and it's 
when you acquire a book and you have a story, you know, you can actually look at your catalog and you can say, okay, so we published like such and such titles that fall under young adult. Um, this quarter, you know, we're going into next year, we want to publish such and such titles that fall under middle grade, you know, because we're weak in the middle grade market. Um, you know, or you can look at, you know, your projections and we, you can say, you know, the middle grade market is doing really well. Let's try to go find more middle grade market books and titles. And they, it's more easily marketable when you have kind of like that logo or like that age group on there. And someone comes up to your booth and they're like, I'm looking for a comic that my eight year old can read. And you can go up to them and you can be like, well, here's all the ones that kind of fall into that category that your eight year old can read. So, cause one of the things I noticed when I worked at a comic shop is you would get parents in and they would be like, you know, my kids saw like Justice League or DC Superhero Girls. I want to read like a Batgirl book and you have to be really, really careful what mm -hmm. yeah. book you give them. You know, you don't want to accidentally slip this parent like the killing joke. Yeah. Like <laughs> that'd be, something that'd be completely crap. different. Yeah, that'd be a like, wild recommendation. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny, you know Alan, so. Alan Moore would probably be very cool with it, though. He'd be like, hello, little child. You're only four years old. Would you like this perfectly reasonable book for children? <laughs> sure, Mr. Moore. That was actually something I really loved about Mythical Mountain is they had like a kid's section. That's cool. In their comic shop. Um, so it made it easier to, you know, when parents came in or when kids come, came in, you know, you could be like, here are comics that like, if you open them, you're not like, I'm not going to get yelled at by your mom or yeah. your dad. You know, w working at a, at a comic shop as well, uh, I mean, many years ago, um, before a lot of um, companies were starting to cater more to that younger uh, demographic, that was always a challenge as well is because, I mean, we'd have all of these comic books everywhere, back issues, new stuff, trades, and our kid-appropriate stuff was like this little corner in the shop. And it's like, man, isn't this kind of ironic that we deal in this medium that is um, uh, that is associated more so with a younger demographic, but, you know, our only offerings are, you know, these five books over here, you know, that are clearly for, you know, up to five years old. Oh, dude, yeah. Like, my mom was still not letting me read Wolverine, and I was in college. <laughs> She was like, I don't like the way he kills people. You're like, Mom, that's his appeal. I'm like, I'm 31. <laughs> so I, I think that is what, what, what I kind of got from uh, Lion Forge and, and going on the website and reading what, what you guys have to offer is that you guys are very um, uh, conscious about what you guys are putting out. Whereas maybe if you were to compare it with some other publishers where I feel like they really lean on what they know and what they've always done, um, it seems that you guys actually take into account like where is the trend going where are we you know slacking at uh, what can we offer and and most importantly I, I do like that educational aspect that's a very cool um thing to have in the forefront when creating uh art and things you know is what's the purpose going to be other than entertaining and in hearing you talk about working you know your time at mythical mountain and a uh, big shout outs to you know uh, kathy jamie and sean as well yep. uh fans of the show uh, and good friends uh, of ours as well did how did that impact or or um, inspire you um, as you're like editing comic books? I mean, how did that influence what you do now? Um, it it really gave me an idea of how like distribution works and mm. how the ordering process works, mm. and you know how like you work with Diamond um, because I'm an editor and I don't work in like our sales department. Um, I don't work with Diamond directly. 
Um, I'm there when Diamond or Simon and Schuster need like material so that they can promote a book. Um, but other than that, I don't have much contact with them on like the day-to-day basis. So working at a comic shop, you get to kind of have that interaction uh, where you see how distribution works. You saw how ordering works. Um, you see how kind of like the variant system works um, and the frustrations that can come with Man. that. Bless mm-hmm. Kathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, and so that that was really great. And like, you know, what people are, are buying, what people are reading, um, you know, and it was also it was also just fun. Like, yeah, I got, you know, hit on a lot like inappropriately um but it was also a great time just to talk to people like to talk to people that love comics you know or that had little kids and that loved comics um you know and they wanted to talk about teen titans go and i was like finally you know see teen titans go it's for you not for the people that are cranky on twitter about it like this is so (laughs) great like yes i have teen titans comics that you can actually read this is awesome but yeah, I really appreciate that I've kind of worked um, like at the forefront, you know, in a direct market space in the comic shops. And then I've, I've written for websites about comic media, both print and live action. Um, and then, you know, I've now I'm working like actually publishing books and stuff. So I like that I've gotten a lot of different uh, viewpoints from the industry. What what comic books did, did you grow up with? I mean, which ones are, are like your current favorite? Because yeah, I've heard you mention, you know, Starfire, Robin, Robin George yeah. Perez, who's one of our favorite of artists. I mean, who, who else is on that list or who else are, what else are some of your favorite comic books? Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, New Teen Titans was a big one for me. Um, I had watched that Teen Titans show and I fell in love with it. I was able to get those comics and I loved that that series with Marv Wolfman mm-hmm. and George Perez. And then I found out George Perez was Puerto Rican and I thought that was just fantastic because i i'd always read starfire as being latina like she had the big hair and like the <laughs> skin tone and her island like her her planet was like an island and i was like yo she looks like my auntie like she looked like my baby um you know and like her, yeah, her cool. emotions cool. and she was just so vivacious like i loved it so um that was that was a big one um gosh i read a lot of manga as a kid so I read a lot of uh, like Romiko Takahashi was a big one. Um, Inuyasha was a big, big, uh, huge influence on me growing up. My, my experience with Inuyasha was almost kind of accidental. I used to work at Channel 4 and I, had, I was working the graveyard shift. And at like 2 o'clock in the morning, Cartoon Network would show Inuyasha. And I always be like, what is this cartoon? And then like... Fast forward to like a month later, I'm like, like, oh, I remember that song. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, and, um, gosh, was a big one. <laughs> Yu Hakusho was another one, uh, Sailor Moon. So, but mostly I'm more into graphic novels now. Like, Blackbird was one that I recently picked up. Um, and I'm, if I do order comics, I'm always going to order through Mythical. Just support your local comic shop. Has your profession impacted or, or changed the way that you consume or enjoy comics and the related media? I mean, has being an editor uh, changed like just your enjoyment of reading a comic book any? Yes. <laughs> um, and also like just watching con- like comic-based media. Um, like I have a friend and she's like, you're really critical. And I'm like, no, Doctor Strange was just not a good movie. Don't come at me. Preach. Like, it's not my fault. Preach. I'm sure you get those questions a lot when these movies drop. 
yeah, they're like, you know, like, Des, what did you think? And I'm like, oh, you know, this, 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 and this, but you know, this was okay. Oh, you're so critical. Well, why did you ask? It does, it's kind of hard to turn off the, like the editorial brain, I guess you could say, like, you know, cause I'm always like, well, they could have done this differently or this was a better way they could have adapted that. Or even, you know, I get why they didn't adapt this aspect of the story to screen. There's certain things that work in comics that wouldn't work necessarily on screen because they're different mediums and they're gonna be told in different ways. So like, there's a lot of talk right now because of the Matt Reeves Batman film um, that with the trailer that dropped and such, like, you know, where's the Batman for kids? And I'm like, he's everywhere. There's tons of stuff for Batman for kids. You know, there's tons of Batman animated shows that are for kids. And like, there's some uh, graphic novels that were for, that were about Batman um, for the youth market for middle grade. Um, And, you know, it's like, you just have to look and you have to appreciate those different mediums. Um, If there's one thing that I still, that I still find very special specifically about like Cape comics, it's that they can be adapted to so many different mediums for so many different audiences. You can have a story about Wonder Woman that's for adults, but also for young children with like the DC superhero girl stuff. And then stuff that's for more like teenagers. Um, same with the Teen Titans is a great example. You can have like the Tiny Titans comics that have, that were um, a thing a while back. And then you can have Teen Titans Go, which are for like, you know, that middle grade age. And then you can have like the older Teen Titans show. And then you can have like Teen Titans Judas Contract, the animated movie, you know, and you can have the comics that are more geared to stories or like the movies and the TV shows. Like I still have great love for them, but I also spend eight hours a day reading comics and comic scripts and looking at comic art. So when my day is over, I really just want to cuddle with my roommate's cat and like watch One Piece. Like I don't want to read. (laughs) I don't want to read any more comics after that. No, I I know the feelings. Some yeah. weeks it's like I feel like all I've done is talk comic books, and I'm like I don't want to look at one more cape. Yeah. That's a lie. <laughs> That's a lie right now. You're trying to be cool in front of her. You're lying. You're, the other day, Spider-Man did this. <laughs> Yoshi. Desiree, what are you? What are you currently? Uh, what's on like your current workload? Like, what what are you working on? And and what's a typical day for you at this point? Um, typical looking for pitches. I'm looking through submissions because we get a lot of submissions and talking with different creators about uh, books that they're working on or even ideas for what they're like, what their ideas are. Because if you find a creator that you you've known and you know their work and they have previous work and they're like, I have an idea, you know, and this is how far I am. You can work with them to create a pitch. And if you're a creator pitching, learning how to pitch is really, really important. Hmm. Um, and it's not just like, you know, like I think such an like Star Trek meets, I don't know, a Quentin Tarantino movie isn't a pitch. It's just, it's just an idea. It's just a sentence. Um, I need to see like who your audience is. Like, who is this book for? Is this for young adults? Is this book for older adults? Hmm. What genres is this book hitting? Um, you know, what, like, what are the goals of your story? Um, how much of your story has been completed? Do you just have an outline or do you have script done? Um, are you going to need a, like a colorist, a letter, an artist on this book? Or are you doing all that yourself? Um, you know, and if you, if you are an artist, like, do you have sample pages? Do you have character designs? 
Um, Cause those things tend to really help. They aren't required. Usually when we say like, Hey, sample pages or something like that, people get a little scared. They're not required, but they do enhance like a person's pitch. Um, and you have to really think like, is this story that I want to tell needed? Hmm. Like, is this story something that, you know, is, is the market flooded with it? Um, you know, is it, is it derivative? Like, is this just another detective story or is this something more like, what are you saying in your story? What makes your story different? Um, and being able to kind of identify those things is really important when you're submitting to an editor. Um, you know, cause then like your editor has something to work with and they will work with you. Like I work with people, um, especially re recently on just like massaging their pitches out, you know, figuring out where they want to go. Um, because even if it's not something that, you know, I want, or I can take, um, or that like the publisher I work for will necessarily acquire, at least then they have a pitch and they might be able to take it somewhere else. And I've had that happen where I've worked with a, with a creator and we massaged their pitch out and they had a really solid pitch package and my company didn't take it, but another company did. And that makes me happy because you're a creator. You know, I want you to succeed. I want this idea that I believe in also like the story that you want to tell to succeed, whether it's with me or someone else. Preferably with me, but <laughs> someone else, it works too. Yeah, yeah. Um, More power to you. Yeah. So, yeah, my day-to-day -day recently has been mostly going through the books that I do have that I'm editing right now. One of them is uh, Quinn Credible by Rodney Barnes. Um, we're finishing that up and we're starting um, to move forward on another story that he's working on. Um, and so it's a lot, of, a lot of printer specs right now. I'm going through a lot of printer things. Um and working on the story and the outline. And then right now going through, uh, I'm looking at a lot of web comics and such to see if there's anything that I'd like to reach out to a creator about. Um, so things like that are usually my day, along with a lot of meetings, a lot of meetings. Uh, being an editor is a lot of meetings. You gotta talk to a lot of people. <laughs> I, I wanna read this quote from one of your, from one of your colleagues and someone that um, we respect, Gail Simone, celebrated writer of DC's uh, Birds of Prey, Batgirl, uh, Marvel's Domino, Agent X, and, and, and a whole lot more. Uh, she said in this uh, Deadline interview, when talking about the Catalyst Prime universe in the comic book series uh, Seven Days, that the biggest surprise has been the editorial team. They're just these brilliant, dedicated, stylish, wonderful young women, and they bring something I've not really seen at any other publisher. They make comics that feel like they were created today, not 1939. I love them to pieces and rely on them utterly. End quote. What's it like not only working with, but also receiving colossal praise from a colleague like the celebrated Gail Simone? She is so freaking sweet. I love her. Um, and her husband's also a sweetheart. And she showed me pictures of like her dogs. Yeah, no, she's, she was amazing. And she was so great to work with because she's... Hey, Shortbox Nation. Sorry for the interruption. Just a few quick words from our sponsor and we'll get right back to the show. Yeah, so this is where I pick up my Ahem, excuse me, might I remind you the rules here at No Touch Collectibles? No loitering, no friendship, no touching the merchandise without gloves, and no free bags and boards. Yeah, man, I know. This shop sucks. I don't, I don't even know why I shop here. Well, we could go to... Jacksonville Premier Location for comic books, collectibles, toys, and more. Ugh. Um, you okay? At Gotham City Limits, you get 10% off comic books in your book. 20% off trade paperbacks and hardcovers, 10% off high-end figures and statues, 
and free bags and boards. It's practically criminal. And that's why Gotham City Limits is a place of the people. How many times have you watched the Batman trilogy? I'm ashamed to say. Well, I mean, they're not bad. One time for every time the Joker has taken the city hostage. Are you done with that? Yeah, I'm done. Well, let's just go take our business there. No, there's any limit. It's the comic book shop Jax deserves. No, not the one. All right, all right. I get it. It's a great shop. Let's just go. That type of collaborator that is very, very open to ideas. And she's very open to, you know, changing things as needed or um, moved or fixed or could be better this way or that way. She's just very, very open. And that's one of the best kind of collaborators you can have is someone who's very open to working with you um, and hearing you out. Because um, not everybody is. Some people are very protective of their stories, which is understandable, um, you know, but it can make the collaboration part a little difficult. So working with Gail was awesome. When she came up with the idea for the main character of Seven Days, who's Tillian, um, she was like, I want to make her Puerto Rican. And, you know, I want this artist, Chris Batista, to draw her. And I was like, I love that idea. Um, you know, and we went through a couple different uh, character designs. And the one we settled on was really great. And then, you know, we went through, like, how she would speak Spanish because Spanglish isn't just saying like one word and then like it's not saying like see and then like the rest of your sentence that's not really how spanglish works (laughs) so that was really cool to be able to kind of build a character like that from like the ground up with a little bit more knowledge and stuff and you know come up with like her character design and you know gail was so and i love reading gail's scripts like some scripts everybody comes scripts differently there's no standard in comics which is kind of like a double-edged sword Hmm. um but reading Gail's scripts was always just so cool. They're so high energy. Um, and I loved her descriptions and I loved her, like her dialogue and such. And, you know, she was just always very open to changing things. Like we had to change the character's dialogue once. And she was like, absolutely. Like, I didn't even think of that, you know, like I'll fix it right away. Like it, that was great. Cause again, some people are very, very protective of what they write. Um, you know, so that seven days was a fun project to work. It was a hard project. It took a long time and it was a big undertaking, um, but it was a really, really fun project. Can you go into a little more detail as to what the premise for the comic book series seven days is and maybe even talk a little bit more about uh, Catalyst Prime Universe and, and how that imprint ties into Lion Forge? For the Catalyst Prime imprint, basically, uh, there's a free one shot that's available on Comicsology that you can read. It costs nothing. Um, and it's just called the uh, Catalyst Prime. It was a free comic book day exclusive. Um, and the idea of it is it's a very science fiction oriented story. And a meteor is going to hit Earth and it blows up and all the little chunks land on Earth and they have radiation. And they give people they start to change the environment and they give people powers, enhanced abilities, essentially. Um, and the stories that came out of that were about specific individuals who either survived um, that initial like space mission to blow the asteroid up, like Summit by Amy Chu was about one of those astronauts. Hmm. Um, Noble by Brandon Thomas was about one of those astronauts. Um, and I loved what both of them did. Um, so seven days took place about two years uh, after that. And basically Gail wanted it to be something where people could read it and not really know a lot about the universe or anything at all and be able to just jump right in and hmm. be like an action type movie like one of those big blockbuster summer movies is was her idea um so 
she introduces some new characters, but she also uses a lot of the uh, characters that we had already had. Um, so you'll see, you'd see like Summit, you'd see Noble, you'd see Excel, um, Asana, she shows up for a little bit. Um, Quinn Credible is a big one. Um, and, and then she introduced Tillian, who was kind of like your reader insert, your reader point of view character. Um, and she meets the big bad guy who's Krellin, who uh, basically is the, he's terraforming Earth. He was the one who had sent the original meteor from that first issue. So, and he's like, Earth is mine now. Like, suck it up. Like, this is, this is my place now. <laughs> um, you know, and everybody else, and he's like, y'all got a week to live. So check it out, like figure out what you're going to do. And it, the rest of the heroes are like, yeah, that's not cool, bro. Like, I like my house. So, you know, you got the big punch em up battles and like the big heroic speeches and stuff. And Gail writes such a great heroic speech. Mm -hmm. And the artists um, that we got on the book, uh, you know, they can just draw a great like lizard fighting battle. Um, and it was it's it's a fun book. Like it's it's a little old school, but it's in kind of like a new school kind of way. Like. You know, it's got the the lizard lord, you know, lots of characters of color and lots of characters that are young and, you know, kind of like that hopefulness to it. That was like something that Gail wanted to emphasize. She wanted the story to have like a lot of hope, like even, you know, in the face of overwhelming disaster, like at the end of the day, like we can still make it like the sun can still rise on us, which I really, I really liked. And I understand that the last issue, number seven, came out, I think, what, end of June? So can people expect a uh, collected trade sometime soon? Yes. The collected trade, I believe, is set to release in late September. Um, yeah, it should be late September or early October, but I'm pretty sure it's late September. Um, so that's that's really exciting. I'm really excited to see the trade. I loved the cover. Um you know, I loved the artwork, like all the, all lots and lots and lots of hard work went into that book um, from a lot of different collaborators and, you know, from Gail herself. Um, but yeah, the, the trade is coming out this fall. It's cool now to see like a lot of media be creator focused rather than, you know, it, it be company driven. It's like, yo, Gail Simone is doing this uh, for a, uh, a publisher who isn't, you know, the, the usual, you know, suspects in, in the big two. I mean, how did it feel personally and from a company standpoint to have Gail Simone attached to this? Um, it was it was really awesome. It was really cool. Um, and Gail is a very down to earth person. Um, you know, she's like she's not someone that puts on airs or anything like that. Um, and she'll talk to you about anything. And she has so much knowledge as a creator and as someone that's worked in, in a lot of different facets of the industry both on like the print end and then like in animation and film and such. So she has a lot of knowledge and she's very, very willing to like share that knowledge with people, which I think is awesome. Um, I learned a lot just talking with her um, and she has a lot of ideas and, you know, she's got a lot of passion. Um, and after like what she's been in the industry for like 20 years or yeah, so, yeah, like yeah. having that sort of passion for that, for that long in, in one industry, I think is is phenomenal. Um, you know, cause it's very easy to get burnt out. Um, if fans feel burnt out, you guys got to imagine what it's like on the other end. Hmm. <laughs> like it's, it, it can be easy because you, you want to create stories and you want people to love them. Um, and then sometimes stories don't hit, you know, and, you know, or sometimes stories get put in production hell, um, and they don't come to fruition. Like you hope they would, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that like, 
either people can't talk about because of NDAs or, you know, just they aren't spoken about. Um, and and it, it can just be hard, you know, especially if like relationships dissolve between like you and a creator, um, you know, for whatever reasons, there's lots of different reasons. It's not dramatic as it sounds, not as dramatic as it sounds. Um, but it can be, it can be a hard thing. Um, and especially if like, you know, you hear lots, lots and lots of news stories, like comics are dying, the industry is dying. And you don't want to hear that. Like I need my healthcare, <laughs> um, you know, and it's, it's really not, it just needs to evolve and change. There's still, there's still hope for the industry. It's not just content farms. Um, and I know that's a big concern is that, you know, publishers are going to just become content farms mm-hmm. for the next streaming platform. I'm not going to say that the fear is unfounded, but I don't think it's as valid as like clickbait sites would have you believe. Agreed. Um, you know, and there's still a lot of things happening that are still really great. And there's a lot of comic content that's out there. That's just, it's not in the direct market, you know, it's in Barnes and Nobles and the libraries and, you know, check out stuff that's from first second or from, you know, Harper or from Simon Schuster. Um, you know, there's a lot of good stories there and we're starting to move into like beyond just like middle grade and young adult into like new adult stories that are for, you know, older adults, um, which is, which is great now. So as someone who like prefers to read graphic novels to single issues now, so. And I, and I really appreciate that you brought up what you said about, um, some of that, uh, once again, life for better terms, fear mongering when it comes to the future of comic books. Cause I think it's very easy to see, um, some of the more popular, uh, um, publications and, and companies that, that report out on comic books be the loudest ones to say, Hey, you know, it's, it's, it's the end of the comic book entry as you know it. Um, you publications know, publications yeah, and yeah, heavy thank you, quotations. quotations, but to your point and, and a lot of things that you've already brought up is when you look at things like web comics, um, or YA, you know, graphic or just, um, graphic novels and that market, they are flourishing. They are doing so well. Yes. Um, and, and, and to your point, um, I think there's still a lot of life left in, in, in the comic book industry and especially like what is there, what's still to be um, uh, offered and, and, and enjoyed. I think just it's going to change. Like what we've, uh, maybe all of us here at, at this table um, have grown up with, that will probably be a thing of the past, but creators creating comic books and, and people enjoying them, I think that's still got you know plenty of more life to it. As life uh, yeah. finds a way. Thank you. Yeah, yes. <laughs> exactly. It's it's ironic you, you bring up that quote um, because you know you also see kind of the same sentiment mirrored in like the the movie industry. You know, people are like, oh, it's just remakes nowadays, and it's just big blockbuster movies, or it's just cape movies. You know, there's still a lot of great movies that are coming out. Both, well, I mean, obviously not on the big screen right now because of the pandemic. Um, but before that, there were. Um, And, you know, there's also a lot of like great foreign cinema and there's great like original films that are happening on streaming networks. Like I loved The Old Guard that was on Netflix and that was based off a graphic novel. Greg Mm -hmm. Rucka wrote that book and he wrote the screenplay like and that movie was fantastic. I love that movie. Um, You know, so it's not like you just have to kind of open your horizons a little more. Um, And I say that as someone who is very specific about like what I like to read and what I like to watch, like. I love animation as a medium. I don't really like a lot of Western animation because a lot of Western animated shows are comedy and I'm not a huge fan of comedy. So like 
the family guys and the American dads and stuff like that are Bojack. Like they don't really hit it for me, but I know people appreciate those shows. So I, I know those shows have a place mm-hmm. and I respect that place. Um, and I would love to see Western animation evolve and grow to include stuff like Castlevania is a good example, you know, and like more shows and content like that um, across the board, you know, to, to be more fantasy stories. I love fantasy stories. Fantasy stories are my jam. Hmm. Love me some good fantasy. So I love like The Witcher. Like that was great. And it helped that like Henry's hot. Um, <laughs> and that Jennifer was hot too. Like Co-sign. everybody was hot on that show. Co-sign. Um, That's the hottest show on Netflix. um you know but yeah like i think you know and there's there is a lot of great movies before the pandemic i had watched weathering with you which was an animated film by the same director who did your name and that film was gorgeous and when it was amazing to see it on the big screen because the animation was so fluid and vivid and beautiful um so yeah just kind of open your horizons like what you think is comics might it's not all that comics has to offer, mm. you know, like open the previews magazine or go on some publishers that you normally don't visit. And maybe you'll find something for yourself or maybe you'll find something for a friend or if you have kids, maybe something for them that they can enjoy, you know. So it's just, yeah, opening that space a little bit more. As someone who is actively scouting talent and, and works closely with you know creative types like writers, artists, and, and other talent, what what is some helpful advice that you've got to give to aspiring comic book creators looking to break into the industry and, and work with a publisher? Connect with other creatives. Honestly, I building a creative community around you, I, I think is really really important. More so than just like cold calling editors. We get a lot of submissions. And you've never heard of this person before. You've never talked to this person before. They're essentially just sending out the same email to people that they've just collected business cards from. Hmm. Um, what you, re- what I really think is best for creators is to find a community. And with the help of like social media and you know the internet, it's a lot easier. Um, join Facebook groups. Uh, if you're like me and you don't use Facebook, join Discords. Hmm. I'm on a lot of Discords. I talk to a lot of different creators. I get an idea of not only like how they should be treated, you know, and the issues that they've had with previous editors and things to like avoid, but also it helps me with like my own writing. And it gives me an idea of, you know, how to better write a story that I'm working on if I'm scripting a story. Um, And it's great to have feedback too, you know, because we have a lot of artists and they'll be like, you know, here's the thing I drew. And people can be like, you know, this is awesome you know, and maybe change this one thing, you know, or, you know, just compliments, or it could be a combination of like compliments and constructive criticism. Um, And they're also helpful in a way where they can be like, you know, hey, I have an agent, I think my agent would really like to talk to you and work with you and help you get work, you know, and people should learn about the agency, like the agent process Hmm. of, you know, getting an agent. Um, If you're going into the book market, I would recommend getting an agent. So, and that can be very intimidating for someone who's new, who's never worked on a comic or anything like that. Um, Anthologies are a great place to start. And to get started in anthologies, you kind of have to have that creative community. Um, I was just on anthology Manana and I knew the editor and we had worked together before on a couple different projects. Um, One where I was editing her and another where um, we just worked, we were just collab partners. Um, you know, and that's really like how you can start to build a portfolio that you can show to editors and going to conventions is a great way. Um, 
it's not the only way because traveling is hard and it's expensive. Um, you know, so having an easily accessible website is a huge one. Uh, I Twitter is not a substitute for a good website. Hmm. Twitter is fine for, you know, connecting with people, but it's, if I can't go to your Twitter and find a website where I can look at your portfolio, I most likely won't put you in my Rolodex. Like I most likely will not, you know, have your name down because I don't know what your art looks like, you know, or I only know what it looks like in like the little Twitter posts. And that doesn't show me if you can tell a story that doesn't show me your sequential art, you know, sequential art is a big thing. I need to know if you can tell a story through your artwork or if you just do pinups, like that's fine. I need to see your full pinups, you know, or if you do character designs, I need to see your full character designs and I need to see the range. So having a good website is super important. That is a really unique, um, that's really unique feedback. I don't think I've heard that too much as far as like, you know, expressing the need to um, have your own website and, and, and something that you own to, to provide as, as a portfolio. That's really unique. Yeah. And, and they're not, you don't always have to, it doesn't have to be the fanciest thing. Um, it doesn't have to be super expensive. I know, I think like Wix is a website that's like, you can build them for free mm-hmm. for, you know, certain templates. Um, I know WordPress has like free templates and such. So you don't have to break bank to have a, a good website. You just, you really should have somewhere where an editor can look at your portfolio and, you know, see your body of work and try to have like a nice, a decent range mm-hmm. of work. For mistakes, it's having only like one thing, like, or not specifying what you do specifically. Like if you're able to color, I need to see samples of your colored pages. Um, if you just do pencils and inks, I need to see samples of your pencils and inks, but also like how those, like the different ways you draw, like how do you panel? Like mm. what do your layouts look like? You know, what are some samples of your work? Even if it's unpublished, that helps a lot. I think the biggest mistake I usually see is that people just don't have an accessible like portfolio. Um, you know, like I said, Twitter's not a good substitute. Instagram's better, but it's still not the best. You really just want somewhere where I can easily go to. I can see your contact information and I can see what you're, what you've drawn and how like you map that out. Like I saw one website that was really well done and the artist had uh, black and white for what they inked separated from what they've colored mm. and then separated that from what they've actually written, which is great. Like that gives me an idea of their range as a creator um, and also sometimes I might not want to, I might not like, like the way they draw, like their artwork might not be good for the book I'm looking for, but their coloring might be. And I might want to hire them as a colorist instead. So, and, but if I don't know what their email is and I can't, I'm supposed to hire you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't do that Twitter DM stuff. Like yeah, yeah. that's not, <laughs> you know, so you have to have like, I would really recommend like a business email that way you're not bombarded. No, those are, I, like I said, I, I have not heard that type of feedback championed a lot. So I'm, I'm glad to get that, uh, that perspective and, and that feedback. Hopefully um, a lot of the inspiring, aspiring comic book creators listening uh, to run that and take that feedback that you've provided. Um, Desiree, we're getting close to, uh, to, to the end of the show, but a tradition that we've got here on the short box is uh, before we sign out, we normally ask our guests to champion 
something within the, the pop culture world. So there could be a, a comic book, a TV series, a movie, a video game series, just anything that you want to say, hey, this is really dope. I've really been on this lately. Um, I recommend people checking out. It's cool because of X, Y, and Z. Um, so I'll, I'll ask you, what do you want to champion today? Ooh, uh, oh gosh, I'm on the spot. Um, I didn't prepare for this one. Uh, I guess the thing I would champion, I've been watching Watchmen because um, I just got HBO Max. And I know I'm behind the ball on that one, but I have been watching that. And Regina, I mean, I've been a fan of Regina King oh, since man, yeah. she was in Miss Congeniality, like two. Like, mm. I love her. And she's such a phenomenal screen presence. Um, well, so said. she's definitely um, when, when she's on screen, you're definitely paying attention because the way she delivers yeah. her her lines, man. Yeah. Like I, I started watching something called Seven Seconds on Netflix just because she was in it. And um, so Watchmen I've been watching. Um, and then I, I'll, I'll try out the old guard again. I really that was such an enjoyable like action film that felt so fresh and modern. Um, I love Charlize Theron. Theron. Um, you know, it was great to see like her being able to fight and, and not in heels like an atomic blonde, which was messy narrative. <laughs> um, Agreed. Uh, but she was, she was awesome. Um, and I loved like the, the kind of like background organic little love story too. Like that was really, really cool to see. And like the new kid on the block, I just, that was such a straightforward, fun, fresh action film that I haven't had fun watching in a while. Um, so the old guard and, and Watchmen are, are the two big things that I've been I've been really into right now. Those are solid choices, and and, and both of which that I think I've like I've come on and, and, and spoken really highly about. And, and to your point, the old guard for me was was the same thing too. I just wanted to throw something on while like me and my girlfriend were, were having dinner, and um, I was like, hey, I, I think this is you know based on a graphic novel by one of my favorite writers, Greg Rucka. Let's just see how this goes. And to your point, it was just. Simple, fun, like, and I didn't have to continue watching it. It was like, you know, spend an hour and a half, have a good time, and I got the story in full. Yep. Yeah. So, which is which is rare for Netflix films. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Other than that, lots of horror films. I finally watched Annabelle Comes Home. But those two things, as far as, like, more pop culture comic stuff goes, those, those have been the two things I've been really into. No, those are solid ones. Thank you for sharing. Um, yeah. Desiree, that is the end of our show. I, I want to say that it is, uh, it's been an honor and, and a privilege to, to have you grace the show um, for us to not only um, hear about the, 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 the things that you get to do at Line Forge as an editor, but uh, more so the, just the, the learning experience, too. I think you've highlighted a, a lot of things. Um, as far as like the comic book process, the, the, the market, I think, which is something that we're always kind of curious about, um, uh, highlighting your experiences being, being a woman in, in comic books as well, and, and everything that you got to share. I want to say thank you so much for, for taking the time to come on the podcast and, and being open and honest and fun as well. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad I was like marginally entertainable. That's always a plus. Cool. Come on. That, Sweet. That, I didn't bore people to tears. Right. That that mythical mountain slash baby hustle co-sign. Uh, I mean, I, I already knew. I was like, nah, we we got it. We got to get this. We got to get this on the mic. Um, I, I want to go ahead and, and turn it over to you for any last minute comments, anything you want to shout out, uh, point people in, in the right direction to find out maybe more of your work or, or things that Lion Forge is offering. I anything mean, you want to plug. Yeah, take it away. Uh, oh gosh, I'm so bad at self-promotion. Um, the, my social handles are all the same. It's Boricua Desiree uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I'm not Twittering much because um, the, the Twitter is, is not my thing. Uh, but I do post on Instagram a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, ho hopefully everybody's just safe during the pandemic. Um, 
you know, and things will hopefully get healthier again. And, um, you know, we'll be able to go outside, uh, which would be nice. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, check out Manana from Power and Magic Press. Uh, I have a short story in there with an amazing artist. Um, and Power and Magic Press does a lot of amazing graphic novels um, and anthology series. Uh, I love their work. Um, so, and that Kickstarter just got funded. So that's really exciting. Hey. So yeah, it's, it's awesome. Um, so yeah. And if, I don't know if anybody out there really likes pop culture themed makeup, I'm like an expert in that one thing. I'm not an expert in anything else, but <laughs> Damn it, had pop you brought- culture themed makeup. I got you. Yo, had you brought that up earlier? I, we could have, we could have put more of a spotlight on that. I don't think I've ever heard that, like, I, that yeah, niche. Me neither. That's what, that's what this is. It's all makeup packaging from different pop culture themed makeup that I have behind me on my little cork board. What's, I guess, so. a, a line or a particular product that you would champion to someone? If anybody likes SpongeBob, there is a SpongeBob eyeshadow palette from Hip Dot. I might just buy it just because why the fuck not? <laughs> right? <laughs> like what? Like I can have eyeline or eyelashes like First like off, SpongeBob? you already have it. <laughs> yeah. So don't be modest. <laughs> don't be <laughs> Damn, no, that's, that's pretty cool. That's a, that's a good way to sign out, Desiree. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> awesome. Desiree, thank you so much once again. Appreciate uh, you. Don't be a stranger. You are now um, among the, the, the short box uh, alumni. So you've always got a place. Sorry. Here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you've always got a place here with us. Um, and, and I hope the, the, the rest of your week goes well. Thank you so much. Continue to stay safe. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, guys. You too. Thank you we'll so do. much for having me. All right, short box. That is the end of our show. Hopefully, you guys had just as much fun as I did. Thank you for hanging out and sharing your most valuable commodity with us, which is your time. Thank you. It is appreciated. Make sure you check out what Desiree is working on or any of the numerous Lion Forge titles she name dropped by visiting lionforge.com. I personally want to recognize and shout out our sponsor, Gotham City Limit, and of course, our short box patrons. If you feel inclined to help us keep the lights on here at Short Box Studio, consider becoming a short box patron. We'll reward you with bonus episodes, commercial free episodes, as well as exclusive merch. Check out what we have to offer for your contributions on our membership site, patreon.com slash the short box. And with all that being said, listeners, stay safe, stay healthy, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. We'll catch you next week. We'll be checking in with the crew to celebrate the new mutants release by reviewing the comic series that inspired the film, the demon bear saga, AKA new mutants number 18 through 20 from the 1983 series by Chris Claremont and Bill Sienkiewicz. We'll also get around to some emails and voicemails submitted by listeners like you and a whole lot more. Feel free to leave us your thoughts, comments on the movie or comic series. Tell us what you thought about this episode or just chime in and say hello. Write us at theshortboxjacks at gmail.com or leave a short voice message on speakpipe.com slash theshortbox. Have a great week. Make mine short box and keep it geeky.